kind of funny how sometimes life can change with one phone call. Let's just say the year is 1985, ladies, and you're a junior at MTSU, and you get a phone call, but you got one of those new caller ID boxes beside your phone, and you see that it's him, and you think, what in the world is he doing calling me? And you let it ring once, you let it ring twice, after the third ring, you think, I guess I better answer it. And you answer the phone. He asks you out on a date. 30-some-odd years later now, there are three children and seven grandchildren. And on most days, you're glad you answered that call. Let's fast forward it to Saturday morning, guys. It's early. You're up. You're grabbing a cup of coffee. And one of your best buddies calls, and your first thought is, what is he doing calling me at this hour? You don't answer. You think you'll call him back, but he calls again. And you figure he must be wanting to borrow a power tool or want you to help him move. And you think, I'll call him back. He calls a third time, and you're just mad. You don't answer, and you say, I'll call him back. And so you do call him back about an hour later, and he said, man, why didn't you answer my call? And you're like, what in the world do you mean? He said, you'll never believe where I am right now. And you say, where, where are you? He said, you know what? I'm on a private jet. I'm heading to Augusta, Georgia to play Augusta National, only the best golf course in the world. And he says, I called you because my boss showed up. We were taking a client. The client didn't bake it. My boss said, do you have anybody that would play? And I called you. Uh-oh is right. You're set to tee off at the VA. You could have been at Augusta, at Augusta, and you missed it. And it was all a phone call. It went one way or the other. Here, here's the thing about calls. I believe all of us get two great calls in our life. I think we get the call to come into the kingdom, to be a child of God's. I think we get the call, or multiple calls, if you will, to serve inside the kingdom. Those are the two greatest calls of our life. The real issue is, will we respond? You see, because sometimes it's sort of hard to decipher that call. I love this picture. We're going to put it up on the screen. It's a little embarrassing if you're a UT football fan. Um, let me just tell you a little backstory. This happened last year at the University of Florida. There's a backup quarterback. His name is J.T. Shrout. And so what's happening here is the coaches up in the press box are calling down to the sidelines to talk to some of the players. JT hears the phone ringing. He's just never seen a phone that old, and he doesn't know how to answer it. So he picks the phone up, and he is actually talking into that phone without answering the phone. That's rough, isn't it? And, and we're prone to blame JT in college students. You, you've probably never seen one of those either. I don't blame JT. I blame the University of Tennessee for a multi-million dollar budget and still having a phone that old. I think that's, that's clearly, clearly on, on them. You see, but here's the problem with God's call. Many times our excuses drowned out his ring. And we're going to see that today as we take a look at the life of Moses. And so as we think about excuses, we're going to hear Moses. He has a ton of them. We have a lot of them. You know, when God calls, we don't have the time, we don't have the talent, we've got a past, we don't have the knowledge. 
Nobody's going to listen to us, and on and on our excuses go. But if you have your Bible, let's uh, take a peek at uh, this story. In Exodus chapter 3, we'll pick up. I know Nick was there last week. I just want to go back and sort of pick up this dialogue because when we pick up our story today, if you remember, we're studying all the way through up until Christmas. We're studying through this great book of Exodus. We've got podcasts going every day of the week to to keep you uh, connected to what we're doing in Exodus and really filling a lot of the gaps. But The children of Israel have been in captivity for 430 years, and they have been crying out to God, and God answers now, and he is going to raise up a deliverer to come and release them, and his name is Moses. And so now God is going to speak to Moses about how he wants to use him. In essence, God is calling Moses to release the captives. And this is the great call on all of our lives. Now, I want to to be really clear. It's not that uh, you may be called to lead over 2 million Jews out of captivity in Egypt, but God has a call on your life to set captives free, to be faithful in your family, to be faithful on your campus, to be faithful in your workplace, to be faithful in your church so that people can experience the freedom that God wants them to have. But will we hear God's call or will we hear our excuses? Which ones will be louder? So when we pick up the story today, Moses is actually 80 years old. He spent 40 years in in uh, he spent 40 years in Egypt there in Pharaoh's house. Then he takes matters into his own hands. We saw that he kills an Egyptian when he shouldn't have done that. And now he's on the run for 40 years on the backside of nowhere in a little town called Midian, and he's a shepherd. He's just tending sheep when God calls him. That's pretty encouraging that he's 80 years old when he gets the call. I tell my wife, you know, there's hope for me. I'm 50. I've still got 30 years to figure this thing out. Don't give up on me now. But let's pick up in verse 10, Exodus chapter 3. So now go, God says, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This is God's call for Moses. But Moses, here's his excuse, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. So what is, what is Moses doing? He's doubting himself. This is a great call, God, but I don't think I'm a great person. I don't, I don't think you could use me to do what you want to do. Now look at verse 12. Watch this. And God says, I will be with you. I'm going to take a time out from the message for just a moment because I think this is so important and we cannot miss this. I think one of the things that we struggle with in, in, in our lives today, probably more than anything else, is insecurity. Would you agree with that? I just ask you to agree with that and say you're insecure. Nobody will know. I mean, we all struggle with insecurity to a certain level. Or we have people in our life that are struggling with insecurity. But how we deal with insecurity, I mean, at this point, Moses is insecure. He's saying, who am I that you should use me? And watch how God deals with insecurity because it's so different. And I just don't want you to miss this. This is so helpful. God doesn't doesn't go to Moses and say, Moses, you have a great education. You You were educated in Egypt in Pharaoh's court. Moses, you've got a great pedigree. Moses, you're pretty strong, dude. I mean, you shouldn't have killed the guy with your bare hands, but you still did. So you're smart and you're strong and doggone it, Moses, people like you. You just need to take a look in the mirror. No, God doesn't do that. But that's exactly what we do with insecure people, isn't it? We try to show them all the strengths that they have so they can have a better vision of themselves. That's how we treat insecurity. But I just want to show you God treats it differently. God doesn't come back and say anything about Moses. God just says, I'll be with you. You see, because here's what I think about insecurity. When we're dealing with insecurity, we don't need a better or clearer vision of ourselves. We need a better and clearer vision of the majesty of who our God is. Does that make sense? Now, listen, that is very, very different from what most people will tell you. But if you continue just to look at yourself and look at yourself, look at yourself, you'll never be free from insecurity. But when you get a clearer vision of who he is, you have a chance to break free. Does that make sense? 
It's a helpful thing. So let's go back because here's what God is doing. Moses has an excuse. God is calling and Moses has an excuse. And I really believe that part of what's happening today in this story in Exodus is God wants to really draw us out of all of these excuses we have so we can have intimacy with him. And certainly that's what God is doing in Moses' life, all right? So what, what, what is the first ring? And, and the first ring is really God's ring in Moses' life. And I want you to hear God's ring more than I want you to hear the excuses. But the first ring that God has for Moses that could be yours is this. The first ring is this, that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things, right? That's what God is saying. Moses says, who am I that I could lead the children of Israel out? Uh, Moses is saying, I'm just an ordinary guy. Can I just tell you what? We're ordinary people. I don't want to offend you. You know, we're just, I'm an ordinary dude. I'll just say that about myself. I'm an ordinary dude. You're an ordinary person. And we think, well, God could never do something great with me. God has a track record of just using ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Does that encourage anybody here today? That encourages me so much. Now, just to be faithful in our family, faithful in our church, faithful in our workplace. Now let's look on at verse 13. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I say to them? In other words, part of what Moses is saying is, okay, okay, okay. So so what if I go to the Israelite leaders and, and tell them that I'm gonna go, I'm gonna come and, and bring about their deliverance, and they should say, Who who should I say who should I say sent me or, or what is your calling card, God? In other words, Moses is saying, I don't know enough about you, I don't have enough knowledge. Have you ever thought that when God's sort of calling you to a next level of ministry, when the phone's ringing and God wants to use you, and the excuse that we hear is I just don't know enough? And we kind of doubt the success of the mission because we're just not sure if we have enough knowledge, right? When God calls you to start a Bible study on your dorm floor and you say, I don't know enough. When God calls you for one night a week to turn the television off and lead your family in the Word and a family devotion, I don't know enough. When God calls you to step in and lead a middle school boy's small group, and you say, you know what, I, 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 don't, I don't know what, know enough. You know what happens? It is our excuses are louder than God's ring many times. Well, the second ring reminds us this, that everything that we are not, God is. Watch this. Nick did a great job of, of teaching this last week, last week when God says, here's what you tell him. You tell him that I am who I am sent, sent you, the great I am. Well, well, part of an understanding of that phrase in the Hebrew is the uncaused cause. That'll blow your mind. When Moses says, who should I say sent me? And God says, tell him I am sent you. And you know what that means? The uncaused cause, the source. That's pretty strong, isn't it? That's a strong resume. You see, because whether you're a skeptic, you're, you, know, you, you kind of believe more of a scientific uh, theory and maybe leads to um, evolutionary thought, or maybe you're a believer here, what everybody has in common is there had to be a starting place, right? And God's saying, I am the starting place. I am who I am. I'm the source. And so, really what God is saying is, Moses, it's not about your ability, it's about your availability. And I know that sounds cliched, but as a 20-year-old guy, I remember sitting in my grandmother's kitchen and God was calling me into ministry and I was scared to death and I didn't want to do it. And there was all kinds of reasons why. I just didn't think I knew enough and on and on and on. I didn't have, feel like I had the background or the pedigree and on and on and on. And I never will forget what my grandmother said to me. It stuck to me even to this day. She says, here's the deal. God's not looking for your ability. He's just looking for your availability because he doesn't need anything. Isn't that good? He's, he's the great I am. He's the uncaused cause. Do you think God needs anything that you have? Let me ask that again. That wasn't rhetorical. No, just our availability. He's got it, right? And so that's what Moses had, had to do. Let, let, let's, let's read on. Exodus chapter 4. Man, this is where it gets so good. 
Exodus chapter 4, if you're like an eight-year-old boy in Sunday school, you remember Exodus chapter 4 because, I mean, it, it's a movement. I mean, this is powerful, powerful stuff that happens. Exodus chapter 4, Moses answers, what if they do not believe me or listen to me or say, the Lord did not appear to you, right? Moses has excuse after excuse after excuse. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? It's on now, right? Now you start to remember this story? What's that in your hand? The staff. <laughs> right? The Lord said, we'll throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground. Don't skip over that too quickly. It's the first time he, he does something right here. He obeys. He obeys God. He throws it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground. It became a snake, and he ran from it. Now, before we're too hard on Moses, I would have run too. But I think it kind of begs the question, you may disagree with me, and that's okay when it says it was a snake. Well, what kind of snake was it? Well, I don't know, but here's what I think. Obviously, if Moses is running from this snake, this is not a, not a garden snake. Moses was a shepherd. He spent 40 years in the desert tending sheep, protecting them from all kinds of oncomers. So here's a guy, and he wasn't scared of a, a, a docile snake. So th this must have been something serious, most likely. I think it was a cobra. And you say, well, how do you know it was a cobra? Because every time Pharaoh put on his crown, at the center of his crown was a cobra in the striking position. It meant that Egypt was a place of power. And so really what God is saying is with this snake, Moses, you're, you're, just, you're just afraid of the wrong thing. You ought to have fear of me as the ultimate power. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Any of you know anything about snakes? And, and by the way, I don't know how long it was from verse three to verse four. In verse three, Moses ran and now he's back at verse four. Maybe it doesn't tell us how long. It might've been a day, but now he's back. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Any of you know much about snakes? Where do you grab a snake if you're going to grab a snake? Behind the head, right? You don't grab a snake by the tail because if you grab a snake by the tail, what's the snake going to do? Snake's going to, snake's going to bite you, right? But, but Moses does it. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a, to a staff. Now, here's the second right thing Moses does. Moses obeys, even when it didn't make sense. Moses obeyed the Lord. And so he's doubting God's power to start this little incident with an excuse. Well, wonder if they don't believe me. wonder if they won't listen to what I'm saying. You see, and then God shows him in a supernatural miracle his power. And every time God performs a miracle, isn't it like a parlor trick here where God's just being cool and showing off? God is performing a miracle to elicit belief so that we would trust him more. That's certainly what he's doing. We see it in verse 5. This said the Lord is so that they may believe uh, that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. All right, so in the next three minutes, I think it's the most important thing in this story that we're going to see, and I want to try to explain it to you. And I know you have about 10 minutes to listen, and then it's sort of hard, and so I get it. So I, I, I brought the best right here. Here it is, the third ring. And this isn't God's call. And look, can I just be clear with you again? It's not a matter of if God's going to call. It's just a matter of when. And the real issue is, are you going to let your excuses drown out God's ring when he calls? The, the third ring, the third ring that God has reminds us that obedience rooted in faith unleashes the power of God. The third ring reminds us that obedience that is rooted in faith unleashes the power of God. Now, let, let's be really clear. Those of you who are still awake, everybody here in this room on Labor Day weekend at some level wants to experience more of the power of God in your life. Would you agree with that? Could somebody just respond? Yeah, that's why we're here at some level. 
We want to see more of the power of God in our marriages, more of the power of God in, 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 our, in our spiritual life. We want to see more power of God in our emotional life, in every area of our life. We want to see more of the power of God, but how is it? How do we receive more of the power of God? Here's what you're going to see. When the Lord is going to do something, and we see it in this story, we'll see it over and over again, the Lord gives his word first before he reveals his power. That's why God says to Moses, throw your staff down. Moses threw his staff down. He obeyed. That is obedience rooted in faith. That's trusting God, and it turns into a snake. God says to Moses, pick the snake up by the tail. Moses picks the snake up by the tail. What is that? That's obedience rooted in faith, and it turns back into a staff. You see? It reminds us that if you are going to see the power of God, unleashed in your life, it is always going to be a result of your obedience that is rooted in faith. And there will be time that, times that God calls us to things that we don't fully understand. Would you agree that picking a snake up by the tail is not something that completely makes sense to us in the moment, but God clearly called Moses to do that, and he obeyed, and he saw the power of God. So here's the question today. What's in our hand? What are we trusting more than we're trusting God? What is an area that we're not trusting God in? What is an area that we're walking in disobedience? It may be an immoral relationship where it makes more sense in the moment just to do what you want to do in your relationships morally. It may be with unforgiveness because they have wronged you, they have hurt you, they have said things that have damaged your reputation, so you remain in unforgiveness. It could be with your time that you're just not willing to surrender this amount of time to what God is calling you to do in your life. It could be control, that you're not willing to surrender this area of control in your life. But all those things, we have to ask the question, what is in our hand and unless and until we throw that down and surrender that and obey the Lord in that area of our life, it could be our finances, that we will not see the power of God in our life because disobedience is costing us way more than we realize. So let me say this. Let me ask you this question, and then we'll move on, and it's super important. Is your life marked by obedience rooted in faith? Is your life marked, not perfectly, but is your life marked at some level by obedience, obeying God in an area that doesn't completely make sense, obedience rooted in faith? Or do you have a desire? And it's not perfection, but you have a desire. I'm, I'm going to ask for some, some grace from, from you. And I don't do this very often, but I'm going to ask you to extend some grace. Because if we study the Bible, do you understand that I'm going to be judged more severely than you? That's why the Bible says not many of you should, should desire to be teachers because you'll be judged more severely. Do you? Do you you think, does that make sense? Have you heard that in Scripture? Yeah. So, so here's the thing about the South. Now, it's really cool. I, I, I get to preach and teach in a city that I grew up in, which is really, really cool. I get to see people that I've known my, my whole life. But here's the problem with the South, especially living in the buckle of the Bible Belt. Everybody thinks they're a Christian. Everybody identifies in the South as Christian. And because of occasional attendance or occasional association with the church. But, but, but that's not the essence. That's not the heart of the gospel. Do you know what is the heart of the gospel? It is obedience rooted in faith. That's what marks our life. Do you see that? And so I think it is a penetrating question. Is your life marked by this obedience rooted in faith? We see that in Moses' life. Now let, let's look on to verse 4. 
God's going to continue to be faithful. He's going to continue to call. In other words, the phone's going to continue to ring for Moses, and Moses is going to continue to throw these excuses back to God, which we do all the time. I have done my whole life, right? Exodus chapter 4, verse 6. Let's look there. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak. When he took his hand out, his skin was leprous, right? Now, leprosy is different from from COVID-19. Now, COVID-19 has, has in many ways, uh, shut or slowed our country down and and created fear, and rightly so, and it's had effects on our our, our church, I mean, all all kinds of things. But some of you have had COVID. When someone is diagnosed with with COVID, there is a uh, 99.5% chance that, that you'll live, when you were diagnosed or when you diagnosed yourself because you could see it, you didn't have to go to the doctor. I mean, when that white spot popped up in the ancient world, which history tells us that Egypt was spending tons of money to research and try to find a cure for leprosy, leprosy, they were just not able to do it. And so when Moses puts his hand inside his cloak and it comes out and it's white as snow, he knows exactly this is, this is stage four. This is, this is over, Right? And so then the scripture says, God says, put your hand back inside his cloak. I think Moses, he responds pretty quickly here because he's got nothing to lose, right? He, he, his obedience is rooted in faith. Now he puts it back. So Moses put his hand back in his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. That was a good day. Would you agree? It's like, whew, close one. You thought the snake was something, right? And this is terrible. So what does the fourth ring remind us? And this is so good, and it's so important because... You see, leprosy was something that the power of Egypt could do nothing to stop or thwart. It was only God and his power that, that, that could break that. So God's teaching Moses something here. The fourth ring reminds us that our past has been restored so we can step into God's future for us. Let me speak about this for just a second. When God calls, so many times in my life where God has called me to a new area of ministry, a new area of opportunity, one of the things that comes to my mind so quickly is my past and my failures, my leadership failures, all kinds of failures from my past. I have let my past paralyze me and keep me from what God has called me to do in the future. Anybody here, your past has paralyzed you? I know so many people in the church who are paralyzed by their past. It's a divorce. It's an abortion. It is a moral failure, a financial failure, a time of embarrassment in their life, and their past is screaming to them. And every time God calls and rings about their future, their past keeps them stuck and keeps them from missing what God has. But let me tell you something about the gospel, and this is good news. God doesn't just redeem us. He redeems our past as well. Is that not an amazing thing? And so when Moses, when he, when he puts that hand inside his cloak, he comes out, it's, it's leprous. He puts it in again, and it is completely restored. We serve a God who, who redeems our past. So what? So we can step into his future for us. Is that not exciting? Is that not the most liberating thing you've ever heard in your life? That is so freeing to me. So that excuse about my past really paralyzing me, that that just doesn't play. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, the old has gone and all things are new. Don't you love that? Don't you love that about who we are in Christ? So don't let your excuse of your past keep you from missing God's future. Because you know what's at stake this Labor Day weekend? It's the work of your life. It's the work of your life. You think about Moses for just a second. He's an 80-year-old dude. 
He's sitting on the backside of nowhere tending his father-in-law's sheep. Now, that's a noble possession, but I don't think that's what he woke up in the morning thinking about as a 30-some-year-old guy. Do you? And, and, and he's kind of content to live out his days, but God calls him to an unbelievable future that he could have missed. And listen, I want that for you. I don't want your past to keep you from experiencing God's future. Now, let's look at verse 8, Exodus chapter 4, verse 8. Then, then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, staff turning into a snake, or snake turning into a staff, if they don't believe the first sign, they may believe the second, the leprosy, the leprosy healed, but if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it onto dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. I just want to check, I just want to check and see how you're doing with this just really quickly because there's a principle that happens multiple times in this story that God is really wanting us to get. When does the water from the Nile turn to blood? It happens when, when, when what happens? When Moses pours it on the ground, right? What is that saying to us? It is obedience rooted in faith that always unleashes the power of God. Do you see that? Over and over and over again in this passage. It is obedience rooted in faith that unleashes the power of God. And so Moses is like, here we go. Uh, hope against hope, right? So he pours out the water of the Nile and the water turns to blood. What's at stake here? What, what, what is God trying to do here? This third miracle is a different miracle. You see, because they didn't believe the first and they didn't believe the second, so God is saying, you know what, with the third, I'm just going to reveal my judgment because the Nile River was a source of life to the nation of Egypt. It was their prize. It brought 30 feet of dark, rich soil into the Nile Valley every single year. It turned a desert into this productive land that brought so much wealth to the nation of, of Egypt. It was their prize or their pride. And God turns that water to blood. It's a picture of judgment. So the fifth ring is this. Watch this. The fifth ring is a clear reminder that we're not responsible for the results. God will deal with people's hearts, either to, to draw them in to life change or to bring about judgment in their life. This is so helpful for me because I think many times when God calls me to something, I think I'm responsible for the results, and that keeps me from stepping in or answering the phone. Does that make sense? If I think I'm responsible for the results, then I'm hesitant to answer the call. And this has totally freed me up in my preaching and teaching. And I'm, tr I'm still trying to learn this. But, you know, I spent so many Sunday afternoons, John, I want you to think, but I spent so many Sunday afternoons just, just going back over and over the message and thinking, boy, I could have said this better or that better. And people were sleeping. I don't think I made any, any difference. You know what has freed me up? I'm not responsible for the results any longer. I'm not responsible for the results. God is responsible for the results. And anything God is calling you to do, what might be keeping you from answering the call is you've jumped ahead and you're responsible for something you've never, God never intended for you to be responsible for. It's just you being available and obedient in that moment and watching what God would do. Now, Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. Moses still got excuses. We're never going to run out of excuses. Sooner or later, we are going to run out of time, Right? Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've no, never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. What many people believe that Moses is saying is I've got a speech impediment, right? Moses is telling God that. Listen to God's response. I think this is funny. In the previous three services, nobody else had, but I'm hoping for better things for you. 
The Lord said to, to, to Moses, uh, who gave human beings their mouth. In other words, God's saying, you know what, Moses, this, this doesn't shock me. I gave you your mouth. I know everything about you. You're not telling me something that I don't know. Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what you are to say. So what is Moses saying? Moses is bringing a weakness that he has before God. And he's saying, you know what, this weakness that I have, I'm not, I'm not that great. I've got this impediment. That is keeping me from answering the phone. His excuse is louder than the ring. Listen, can we just all be honest inside this room today? We've all got some excuses, right? And we've all got some weaknesses in our life, some things that we don't do well. Just, just to be honest, that's why God placed us in a body, in a church. You don't do everything well. That's why you need each other. Does that make sense? That's the church. Nobody agrees with that. It's true nonetheless. Nobody in this room has all the, all the gifts, right? Everybody here has, has weaknesses, but we let our weakness keep us from answering God's call on our life. Now, watch this. This is so helpful. The sixth ring reminds us. You might say, well, how many rings are there? There's seven. You're almost done. Hang in there. The sixth ring reminds us not to let our weaknesses keep us from the power of God. The sixth ring is a reminder, don't let your weaknesses keep you from the power of God. Matt Chandler said, this is an amazing quote, amazing quote. I wish I could say something like this. It is God's omnipotence that matters, not your incompetence. Isn't that powerful? Do you know what really matters? God's omnipotence, that's his power, not your incompetence or your weakness. You see, what is God doing? Ultimately, I think God is drawing us out of these excuses so we can experience his power. In fact, your weakness that you have, and Moses had one, right? He's got a speech impediment. God's asking him to go and speak on his behalf, and he brings a real weakness. And, and God is not denying Moses' weakness. He said, who made your mouth? Moses, I know that. What God is showing is that God's power, watch this, God's power is shown most clearly in our weakness. Do you believe that? Let me show you something so you just don't think this is preacher speak. In Acts chapter 7, in Acts chapter 7, if we were to jump all the way over into the New Testament, a man by the name of Stephen, uh, he's the first martyr in the Christian church. He, he's about to be executed for his faith in Jesus, and before he is executed, he just lets them have it. He preaches. He's like, well, I got nothing else to lose, so here it goes. He, he's kind of like, you ever, you ever watch a, a baseball game and a, and a manager gets thrown out of the game? After they get thrown out, they just come out and they just, give every, they just say everything they want to say to the umpire. Like, I'm out anyway, so here we, here, here we go. They just let them have it. So Stephen's like, I'm, I'm a dead man walking, so here it is. He shows them point by point how Jesus is the fulfillment of all this Old Testament prophecy. And Stephen mentions Moses in Acts chapter 7. One of the things he says about Moses is so fascinating to me. He, he talks about Moses. He said, Moses was a man powerful in word and deed. Now, Moses said he had a speech impediment. And Stephen said Moses was powerful in his word. So was Moses lying or was Stephen lying? I say neither. I say both are true. And you say, well, what is the point of that? What, what happened is, is Moses got to see that God's power is made perfect in our weakness, right? You see, but we let our weakness keep us from the power of God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to show this point just really quickly. I see all you guys watching, the piano players coming out. You know, whew, he'll be done in just a second. Right, it's a, it's, it's a message of grace that comes to you guys. Rescue is coming. It's like you're Moses that walks out. Hey, we've been crying out, God. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Now, Paul will hurt your feelings, right? Be careful. Paul will hurt your feelings sometimes, right? You ever read the Apostle Paul? If you're not careful, he'll hurt your feelings. Listen, listen to what he says to the church at Corinth. It's all about this principle of God's, God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. 
Not many of you are wise by human standards. I think about that a little bit. It's like, Paul, seriously? Wow. I mean, he's preaching to the church at Corinth. I mean, he's writing a letter to the church at Corinth. We might say, hey, guys, let me just remember. Let's just think about who you were when I met you, and you were called into a relationship with God. Not many of you were that wise by human standards. Like, if you remember that, you weren't the sharpest knives in the drawer, right, when God called you. Uh, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. We didn't have any movers and shakers in the group that I could tell. Like, Paul, dude, easy. Not many of you were from noble birth. I mean, I didn't even know. We didn't have the pedigree, right? So, I mean, what has he said about the church in Corinth? Uh, you weren't smart, really? You weren't that influential? You didn't have a pedigree, a background? But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So what is that weakness? What is that excuse that you keep bringing before God that is louder than his ring? And God says, I know everything about that weakness that you have. In my sovereignty, I allowed you to have it. And I'm going to use that weakness to show myself so strong in your life. Trust me. Trust me. Answer the phone. Exodus chapter 4, verse 13, finally, 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 Moses just gets honest. I mean, he's run through every excuse he knows about why he can't be used of God. And look at verse 13. But Moses says, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Right? Finally, he says, God, one more time. Here's the bottom line. I don't want to go. I mean, I've, I've, I've told you every excuse I know, and you've countered, and you were right. But can I just be honest? I don't, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Somebody said, like, well, God got angry. I didn't think God got angry. Multiple times in Scripture, the Bible says the Lord is slow to anger. You see, we continue to bring these excuses, excuse after excuse after excuse to the Lord, and the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and he'll be glad to see you. In other words, God's saying, Moses, my will is going to be done with or without you. And that's true today. God's going to be glorified with or without you. But our God has a call on your life. He wants to use you. He has a work for you to do. That, listen, if you and I had the right kind of vision, this is what we would, this is what we'd want for ourselves, and God has it for you. You see, the seventh ring reminds us of what? That our excuses ultimately bring God's anger. Sooner or later, we got to be done with the excuses and pick up the phone. Because here it is, here's the bottom line. Under all the excuses that Moses had was ultimately an unwillingness to obey. And let's just be honest about that. Underneath all the excuses, what was it? It was just an unwillingness to obey. And your unwillingness or my unwillingness to answer God's call in our life, maybe keeping others from being free around you, 
but I guarantee it's ultimately keeping you from the freedom that God would have for you. You know, one of the things that I think is in play here, and I just want to touch on it for just a second, and then I'll be done. Here's, here's part of the reason why Moses missed this, and, and I think it is such a message for the church today. I think it's what the church of Jesus Christ today needs to hear and be reminded of probably as much as anything. God's kingdom has always been for servants, not consumers, and I think Moses missed that. Do you understand that today? The kingdom of God, God's call in your life is a call for servants, not for consumers, but we have such a consumeristic mindset in our culture today, and we miss the majesty of what God wants to do because here it is. Let me close. There are two great calls on your life. There are two great calls on your life. The first call is a call into the kingdom. And boy, we have our excuses for that, don't we? God, I don't know enough. I've got a past. You can never forgive somebody. You can never love somebody like me. You know what I would say to all that? Then why did he call you in the first place? Why is he moving and why is he working in your life in the first place? It sounds a little bit like Moses when he says, God, I got a speech impediment. And God says, I made your mouth, Moses, and I want to use you. The first call on your life is a calling to his kingdom. The second call on your life is a call of service in the kingdom. Here's the most difficult thing today. Here's the most difficult thing today. How you answer the second call really reveals what you've done with the first call. Let me say that to you again. Because I think all over this room, there's some strange looks. How you answer the second call. What's the second call? It's a call into service in the kingdom. And again, watch what I'm about to say because I want to use a very, very precise word here. And if you miss this, it could lead to legalism and all kinds of difficult things. You see, how you handle the second call, here's what I believe about someone who's in a, in a relationship with the Lord Jesus. When the second call comes, and it will, we may not respond perfectly. Moses sure didn't. But we have a desire. There is a desire there. There is a longing there to join God in what he's calling us to do. But I would have to say this, and listen to what I'm saying this Labor Day weekend, and extend some grace to me because I'm going to be judged more severely. If there is no desire to answer the second call, do you hear what I said? If there is no desire to answer the second call to serve in his kingdom, I would, I'm telling you my opinion, I would seriously, seriously question whether or not you've answered the first. Because when we answer the first, he adopts us into his family. 
He completely forgives our past, secures our future, and calls us his son or his daughter. And one of the things that I know about sons and daughters, I knew it to be true about me as a little guy. As a four or five-year-old boy, whatever my dad was doing, I wanted to do it. Because as a young boy, I wanted to be like my dad. And spiritually, that is implanted in us for those who are born again. Now, it doesn't mean we'll do it perfectly, but we have a desire. It's pretty apropos that there's a phone ringing right now, isn't it? That was perfect. I'm glad we planned that. Do you see that? I think it could be true for somebody. In fact, my guess is it is. The phone's ringing. I go back to that picture of J.T. Shroud on the sidelines. Phone's ringing. He picks it up. He holds it beside his head. He doesn't know how to answer. That really might be what somebody's saying here today. A middle school boy, 65-year-old grandmother, this is saying, the, in essence, the same thing. All throughout my life, I have heard God's ring and God's call. But my excuses just came flooding in so quickly. And to be honest, I don't know that I've ever answered the first call. And even a little bit deeper than that is, how do you? I sort of feel like that freshman football player with a phone up to my ear, but I don't know how to answer. The Bible's pretty clear here. It's one word. It's faith. It's putting all of your trust where God has already placed all of your sin, and that was on his son, and trusting him completely. And God's question to Moses is this, what's in your hand? Throw it down. It could be the question that is in your court today. What's in your hand? What are you trusting more than you are trusting me? And would you throw it down? Why would I throw it down? And here it is. So you can take your hand of faith and extend it to a God who loves you, has sent his son to die in your place and wants to redeem you, would you trust him? Would you trust him? Answer the phone. I cannot tell you how different your life will be on the other side of this call. Can we pray? Can we pray with your heads bowed all over this place? You're here in the quietness of this moment. Labor Day weekend, a chance to rest from our work in a spiritual sense because the work has already been done. That's what Jesus did on your behalf. And he has been calling, he has been blowing your phone up for years. But your excuses have always been louder than his ring. But today, 
you're ready to answer the phone and you're ready to extend a hand of faith to God's hand of grace. Is there anybody here today who would say, that's me? I'm ready to answer that call. It's the call of my life into the kingdom. Is there anybody here that would say that? Would you just slip your hand up today around this room? God's been calling. I see you. God has been calling, and I'm done with the excuses. I'm ready to answer the phone. Would you tell the Lord this? I see you. God bless you. Would you tell the Lord this? As you grab the receiver through this gift of prayer, Jesus, I can't do this. I can't manage my life any longer. Jesus, I can't redeem my past. I can't outrun my mistakes. Jesus, I don't deserve to be in your presence. But I believe by your grace, you died to make a way. Would you tell him this today? I trust what you did on the cross as payment in full for my sin. Would you tell him that today? I trust what you did on the cross as payment in full for my sin. And I'm extending my hand of faith to your hand of grace. I'm yours. Father, for the believers who are in this room, that the phone is ringing for the work of their life. Father, today, would you just continue to to draw out the excuses so you could meet them here today and they can say yes. Lord, you have a work for them to do, a faithful work for them to do in their families, in their church, on their campus, in their workplace. And Lord, today, I pray all over this room, there are folks picking up the phone, answering your call, showing themselves to be available because you are always able. And Lord, you'd begin to lead them in the work of their life. that others could be free, especially them. In Christ's name, amen.